0: You have stepped in the door of imagination and clarification. You've stepped in to the question zone. And now for the question zone on the Bellator Christie podcast, welcome your hosts, the cowboy apologist, Curtis Everlow and Dr. Brian Chilton.
1: Well, thanks for tuning in with us on each episode of the question zone. It's designed to open up conversation and give biblical answers. My full intent is to ask the questions you may have to the topics that you that are relevant to the day and age we live. Giving Brian and I an opportunity to show you how to look biblically at the culture and how to live that out. Well, today is uh, today is the second uh, question zone. So in our in our year, uh, or in our uh, new season, we're we're cruising along pretty good. I actually can't believe we we're into the second uh,
0: questions on there, Brian. It's hard to believe. i mean, you know, what coming up here in a couple months, we've got our Bible study that'll be kicking off in the Book of Galatians. Yeah. And my goodness, yeah. I was looking at the schedule the other day, and I thought, holy cow, we're we're about there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So hey,
0: let's jump right in here. I've got a uh,
1: listener question. Um, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask it the way it is wrote. Uh, it says, "Hey Brian, why we tend to withdraw when things in church or in the church go south? Is it better to speak up and start an argument, or just walk away and let God guide us in the right decision?"
0: What a powerful question. And uh, and a very powerful question indeed. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people have either been in that situation or will eventually find themselves in the situation. And by the way, I love the mug. You got to love it. I'm I'm Dr. Pepper (laughs) tonight. But uh, and I do want to encourage your listeners. If you do have a question to submit it to myself or, or Curtis, and and we'll cover it on the on the Bellator Christie podcast. This is a fantastic question, and I first of all want to preface it by saying that I think the answer most clearly is found in the last part of the question because no matter what we do, we want to be God directed. We want God to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. Uh, but when it comes to issues in church this kind of go, go goes back to the last questions on episode and even the article i wrote in separating the church capital c church the being the body of christ from a local assembly and I think it was E. W. Mullins who's talked about that we have four freedoms as believers. We have soul freedom, the freedom to have a relationship with Christ without anyone interfering, uh, the freedom to uh to study the Bible and uh you know, the freedom to uh to be able to read it and interpret it. And we have church freedom, the freedom of churches to be able to operate according to the way the congregation sees fit. And we have religious freedom, uh the freedom to worship or not worship. Uh, according to the way we feel led and this is an american principle that uh that the government shall not interfere with with our religious practice uh, you know it, that that's what the, f- the separation of church and state's all about so as we, we we keep that in mind as we go through go through uh this question and so i would say that when you've got an issue that's come that's come up in church I think that you need to ask yourself three questions. And and I think these three questions will determine what path you need to take. The first question is this, and, I, and I've reflected on this question quite a bit because uh, we received question you need to ask yourself is is this. Is this issue a major or minor matter is this issue a major or minor matter can you still hear me okay curtis i can okay this is something about my, for
1: just a second
0: internet was uh, going wonky there for some reason mm-hmm. but uh, ask yourself the question is this issue a major or minor matter and so how do you know if it's a major or minor matter well if it's an issue just a personal preference it's a minor issue so in other words, if right. you don't like the color carpet or you don't like that one song that the choir or praise band sung, that's a minor issue. That's a that's a personal preference. Mm-hmm. When we get to the issues of biblical translations, unless it's something way off uh that's a matter of personal preference. When we talk about styles of worship styles of songs, that's a personal preference. But if it's a major issue, this is going to involve theological matters. Uh, like the last episode with T.J. Gentry, we talked about biblical inspiration, inerrancy, these type of things. These are major issues. Or if it's a major ethical problem that you have going on in the church, that is a major issue. If it's not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect other people, then then that's a major issue. It needs to be addressed. So that's one of the first things to decipher. Is it a minor issue or is it a major issue? And if it's a minor issue, you've got to ask yourself a question. Is this something I can live with? And if it's not, then it becomes a major issue to you. But if it's, but if it is something you can live with, then by all means, unless this, unless God is just impressing you to move somewhere else, I would stay where you are if it's a minor issue. If it's a major issue, then you've got to ask yourself another question. Will the church And church leadership, listen to my concerns. If the answer to that question is no, get out of there immediately. If, if the church and church leadership, they're not concerned about you or concerned about your, about your concerns and you don't have, you don't have a voice in that place, then my friend, what you're involved with is a cultic church at worst or a toxic church at best neither option is good and cults and cultic churches are uh, churches are dangerous on a variety of matters because one they they will do you psychological damage they will damage you uh spiritually they will damage you um, uh, um emotionally and in cults you know Curtis you and I were talking about a cults in a certain Western area uh, that's developed. Cults, if they go the full route, could very well lead to physical damage. Now, I'm not saying that uh, many churches would do that, but there have been some that have, and so you've got to be very cautious with toxic environments and and cultic uh, cultic setups because they can lead to very very dangerous uh, scenarios where you could be hurt badly. Uh, so if they're not going to listen to you, if your voice is not going to be heard, the leadership doesn't care about you. They doesn't, they don't care about what you think or what you say or any, any problems you see, then get out of there. As I've heard it said, don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split Mm -hmm. you and keep going because that's not a place where you want to be. If it, if they will listen to your concerns, then express your concerns in a biblical and loving fashion according to Matthew 19. Jesus tells us there's a methodology by which we can handle problems when they come our way. First of all, if it's an individual, go to that person individually. Try to work things out. If you can't work out work it out with the uh, individual, then take a witness with you, kind of an intercessor to go with you to try to work things out. If that doesn't work, then take it before the church. That's what Jesus tells us. But if it's a matter of the church, I would first of all take it to the church leadership, express your concerns, let them know uh, your concerns, and then and then take it to the church. But if they don't listen to you, you know Jesus tells us you're not going to be accepted everywhere, you're you're not going to be heard everywhere. So in that case, dust off your sandals and keep keep trucking is what Jesus tells us to do, uh, and that's not. Again, because churches have the right to operate according to the way they deem best, but you don't. You have the right not to go there if it's something that uh, that is a difference that you have with a church. That doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. Doesn't mean that you're that uh, that the church is necessarily bad. It just means that uh, they're going one path, you're going a different one, and God has something you know for you uh, that may be somewhere else if that's the case. But if they do listen to you and they're willing to work with you about the issue and concern, then this brings us to the third question. If they bring it to some type of resolution, then you have to ask yourself the question, can can I live with the resolution that's been offered? And if the answer is no, then you probably still, even though they've tried to resolve it, if you're not satisfied with the resolution and you can't live with it, then, um, then I think it's time to probably still look for a different place. But if you have, then I would try to uh, stay at the church and become active in the church because if they're willing to work with you and they're willing to, to help you and, uh, to re- bring a resolution to the problem, that shows that they love you. That shows they can, conser- they're concerned about you. And that shows that, uh, that, that they're willing to work together to come up with a common solution. And in that case, I truly believe if you have an issue with a brother or sister and you're able to work it out and find a common resolution, I believe that the bonds that you have together are going to be stronger than they were before. Yeah, oh,
1: sure. you know, sure. so
0: so I think that if you can find a resolution, if everyone involved is is willing to try to work through these issues, then you're going to be stronger. The church is going to be stronger. But if there are problems where no one's listening to you, I, I know I recall one person. Uh, that, uh, was going through a difficult time. And the person said that no one from the church reached out to them, even though the person asked for help. Uh, the, the, no one, no one really expressed any concern for the person. So why would that person even want to stay in an environment like that? Uh, that's a c- completely different person than the one who asked this question. But, um, I think, I think it's really telling if, if a congregation or leadership or, Whoever the case may be, pastor, deacon, elder, whatever the whatever the case may be, if they're not even willing to hear your concerns, then that shows that they they really don't care about you after all. And but if they are and they're willing to work with you and come up with a resolution, then I you know, I think do your part to you know, um do your part to uh to to uh try to work with them. Uh but if it's a biblical theological issue. Uh, especially like what we were talking about before, or as we've talked about on the podcast with major theological issues, then if they start teaching something different than what the Bible promotes, then regardless of what happens, it may be time to look for somewhere else. I hope that helps. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's,
1: it's in this season of our, of our culture right now, um, everybody is looking, and I'll just be straight. Everybody's looking to be offended, and so yeah. what we got to do is approach, just like you said, approach it in a systematic way um, to take as much offense out of the out of it as possible.
0: And, and realize no matter what happens, no matter what church you go to, you, you're not going to always agree with everybody on everything. And like yeah. you said, Curtis, yeah. we, we got to remove that offense nature that we have because um, we're not always going to agree with each other. I mean, I guarantee right. that if you put everybody on Team Bellator Christie together, we're not going to agree 100% on every single detail. And that's fine. What? We don't have to. What? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh,
1: so let's get into the 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 questions i had formulated <clears throat> and the first one here i put on here brian partial uh to your latest podcast and uh interview with dr huff um podcasts um that you've had on and your interview with Dr. Huff, who is a Bellator Christi member. Um, the interview uh, about the inspiration of the text with as much information there is about the biblical Canon and how we receive the biblical text. Why is this or that? Why is it that this is one of the most common sticking points for unbelievers?
0: Uh Yeah, and so by the way, if you hear meowing in the background, it, it's our cat. And whenever I get in this office, this is one of the reasons why I moved to the to the other office, because we got a glass door behind us, and he sees me in here, and the doors are shut, he he pitches a fit. <laughs> so just so you know, if you hear meowing going on, that's what's taking place. I, I really kind of defer back to the the, the previous podcast I had with TJ um, because it's really. Honestly, whenever you ask this question, it really coincides with what he was talking about before. I think it comes down to an issue of authority. In the end, we all want to be, uh, we all want the authority over our lives. And I don't know that there are many people out there who want someone else telling them what to do. <laughs> Let's just be honest. We want to be the master of our own domain. We want to be the master and control everything in our lives. And when you're talking about the Bible being the revelation of God, uh, being inspired, God breathed from the Holy Spirit to these writers and that it has authority over our lives. People don't like that. Uh, and especially if it's, if we're under conviction over something that we're doing that's in con- contrary to what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. If you think about it, if you think about what happens with, what happens with a student in school or an employee at work, they didn't do something they were supposed to do. And what they're going to do, they're going to make every excuse under the sun for why they were justified in doing whatever it was they were doing. We do the same thing with the word of God. You know, we do something contrary to what God tells us we should do. And we're going to make every excuse under the sun. And what's the natural outflow of that? Well, Maybe the Bible's not inspired after all. Maybe that writer was just flawed in that particular section. And that's quite honestly why I think, in my personal opinion, according to Chiltonology, uh, I think that's one of the reasons, one of the motivating factors behind the re- why people do reject the inspiration of God. Now yes, the Bible is a complicated book. That doesn't mean that we're going to understand everything in it clearly. There's going to be differences of opinion, and so we can't take every interpretation we hold as the gospel truth because there are some complex things going on in the Bible, so we need do need to have grace with our interpretations. But there are a lot of things that are just as as one of my mentors, the late uh, Reverend Gilmer Denny said, there's just a lot of things in there that's just good, plain, common horse sense. And um, it's just it's just plain as you can be. And so just to go against that, obviously, is to go against the authority of God's word, in my opinion.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And I I I just enjoyed listening to to Dr. Huff about what what she had to say. Um, And and, uh, it's it truly is amazing to me. All the information that is out there about these about these topics, it just blows me away absolutely, so number two um, and this goes uh, to our own um, Michelle Johnson uh, article that she had I just I thought of asking this uh, question um, archaeological evidence is becoming more and more. Uh, a proof of the accuracy of the text of the Bible. Is there one recent archaeological find that really excites you? And what is the significance of it?
0: Well, that's a good question, Curtis. And I, I re- this past week, I was looking because quite honestly, I haven't kept up with uh, recent archaeological discoveries the way I normally have. I just just haven't had time. And uh, But I, I kind of started looking back through some of the recent discoveries that have been made and found some fascinating finds. Uh, mm. One, I don't have it with me right now, but it seems like someone uh, recently discovered um, an inscription dating back to the B.C. times where it said something about the House of David. And this is important because many scholars had denied the historicity of King David because there haven't been a lot of things found in antiquity with his name on it, archaeologically speaking. Now, we have his name written in documents in the Bible. Those are historical Mm -hmm. documents. Uh but they were talking about archaeologically. Well, you found this, they found this ancient inscription called with the house of David, which speaks to the historical person of David, that there's there's more and more reasons for believing that he was indeed a historical person. I also came across three other finds that I found very fascinating. Uh one is uh in uh the, the Ein Gedi Natural Reserve. Recently, four Roman swords were found in a, in a Judean cave that date to the first century A.D. And uh, mm-hmm. so this, this is fascinating because as we read about the Romans and the swords that they have, Paul uses references uh, referring to the Roman sword. Uh, we know that Jesus, was his side was pierced by a Roman sword. Uh, this gives us further corroboration as to what Roman swords may have looked like uh, in the first century. There's also an ancient inscription that was found um, dating to uh, was the first, second century, I think it was. uh, It is a quotation of Psalm 86, and Psalm 86 says in the Old Testament, O Lord, guard me, for I am poor and needy. But this, coming from a Christian community, uh, said, instead of O Lord, they said, Jesus Christ, guard me, for I am poor and needy. Now this is significant in the sense that it shows that early Christians did believe that Jesus was divine. They associated him as the Son of God even from very early on. Uh, so, in, anyone who claims that the that the deity of Jesus was a late development, it, it, evidence is showing otherwise. Uh, evidence is, shown, in fact, these early creeds that we learn about date to within um, within five years. Some yeah. of them, First Corinthians 15, yeah. uh, 3 through, was it 3 through 7? It dates to within five years of the 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 church's origin, um at least, maybe even earlier than that. So here you have an inscription with a quotation from Psalm 86, but instead of saying, "Oh Lord, it says, Jesus Christ, guard me, for I am poor in mm. It may have even had a cross or fish or something on there as well. But then one that uh-huh. also... I find fascinating is a new, um, a papyrus was found with some sayings of Jesus. This, uh, this actually included three texts, one from Matthew 6, one from Luke 12, and then oddly had a Gospel of Thomas, verse 12 on there. Uh, and this is called the P O X Y, I think is the uh, Oxyrhynchus uh documents that were found POXY 5575 it dates to the late century 8 a- late second century AD and contains one of the earliest quotations from the gospel of Mar- uh, Matthew that we have to date and so uh already like since second century that's getting very early late second century what maybe like 150 to 200 we're talking about that's a pretty remarkable find, especially with with uh with Matthew and Luke. And it is interesting that it does include the Gospel of Thomas, which is which is fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting since um you know, one it it the Gospel of Thomas states things that are uh opposing to a lot of what the what the
0: other writers, gospel writers had to say. The the Gospel of Thomas contains a lot of the sayings of Jesus that you find in other Gospels. Uh, And for the large, in large part, there's nothing really ultra controversial about Thomas, but there are, as you said, there are a few verses here and there that show that Gnostic slant that they were placing on, on the Gospel, which causes it to be an issue but now the gospel of thomas itself came about sometime in the second century so that's within the time frame so for the gospel of thomas for the studies of gospel of thomas this is even more interesting because it it puts it in the very same century that it was likely written that's that's pretty close yeah i think for
1: me um is the is the is the pool of siloam that they found um, they, they've excavated that, and uh, it's it's really unique. Is uh, it's got the, the pool of Siloam goes up, and then and then from there it goes up uh, the walkway, um, the stairs, and the walkway uh, to the city of David, which is just unreal to me that uh, um, that we found some of this uh, archaeological evidence that you know. Forever, people would say, pool of nothing like that ever existed. And then all of a sudden, well, there it is. Uh, we just found it. So pretty interesting. Um, some interesting things. I know for me, um, they, there's been some stirring about the finding of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I don't have that facts or the the, the, the the writings of that in front of me to be able to give uh, precise information. Uh, information but it's interesting and uh, may even cause our listeners to go and check some of that stuff out I uh, archaeological stuff just just makes me just um, giggle and uh, just be in awe Um, because when people start saying oh those things never existed it doesn't take long and
0: God's like here's this (laughs) and and another thing to add to that with the Sodom and Gomorrah, I do have it on good account that, uh, that they're finding that there was something that exploded. That was huge to the point that it Mm -hmm. liquefied, you know, with the salt in the area, it would have, it would have, you know, caused things to become like salt, but it would have, you'd had so much heat that it would have liquefied, certain things where it was. I wow. mean, they, they found evidence of that. In fact, there's growing a growing body of evidence that suggests that there was a large meteor that likely struck that area because there's even a section of the Swiss Alps that was taken out that they've somehow or another corroborated that it matches the same trajectory that would have happened, that it took off top a part of the top of the Swiss mountains and would have landed right directly over onto sodom and gomorrah but uh, what was that one town was it zoar where um lot fled to that was unharmed i think is it zoar if i can't remember the name yeah. zoar zophar something like that yeah. well, anyhow it, it was untouched but you have sodom and gomorrah it was just obliterated absolutely yeah, obliterated
1: definitely. yeah interesting stuff just uh uh there's a lot of history over there and them them parts of the land so um number three uh recently the evangelical christians have had some pastoral and apologetic leaders come out against certain aspects of faith and others experiences what is the potential reason for this
0: you know, Curtis, it's difficult to say. I think it depends on, um, you know, w- which person you're discussing. I think uh, it could be a- an issue with the authority of Scripture. Right? That could very well be uh, a part of the problem. Uh, but And I think part of it, too, could be uh, where maybe a person hasn't had the same type of experience that someone else has. And so they just automatically talk, you know, discarded. I, I don't know if that's the answer or not. Um it's, it's like I was telling TJ, I had a conversation with my son this afternoon whenever we were driving, I was driving him home from school, picked him up today. I took most of the week off for my birthday this week. And, um, but anyhow, we uh I was driving him home today and we, he was talking about this odd opinion that, that a person at school had. And, and I, and I told him, I said, son understand everybody has a bias of some sort what you need to do is to look for the evidence and look for the truth and you know look for that look for the data look for the objective evidence instead of just taking a person's opinion for it i mean that's true of anything in life Uh look for the data look for the evidence and um and i think the same is true here i think you have to look i mean i'm writing a book now through elective house press She'll be coming out in in 2025, and that's one of the things I'm going to address in the book is that our experiences don't – it shouldn't be our experiences versus the authority of the Bible. Because the Bible is the revelation of God and God is shown to to operate in a certain fashion, we should anticipate to have certain experiences from what we find in Scripture. Now, it's like what TJ said before. We don't want to become – Flaky, uh, to the point that we have no foundation found in the word of God, you know, because we can allow our experiences, um, to, to, to lead us astray if, if we're not grounded. I mean, because we may take every whim and fancy that comes our way as being necessarily directed by God, which, it, which isn't necessarily true. I mean, i I'm, heard, I'm sure you've heard it said before. Someone has, uh, you, they, they want to do something, but it may not be ethical, but they say, well, maybe God's leading me to do this. And, and you know, that wasn't God. <laughs> doing that. So you got to have the foundation because God is not going to lie. He's not going to speak against something he's already revealed. So the Bible yeah. serves as a good foundation for us to, to guide us in the right direction. But I don't know. Those are some possibilities, but but those are just really guesses. Quite honestly, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to really know why some people go the route they do.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it, you know, well, and a lot of it, but there is some of them that later on reveal that there was some uh, sinful behavior or um, behaviors that um, may have been questionable that led them to uh, disregard certain aspects of the authority of God.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's very possible. So, number four, this is a short one.
1: And I know this is kicking open the hornet's nest right about now. We would never do that. Would we? Can, we, can <laughs> we expect to hear God in a personal
0: way? So, we, we've got this study going on in bibliology the study of Scripture, study of the Bible. Right. If we believe that the Bible is the revelation of God, then that means that God must have spoken to the writers of Scripture in some form or fashion. And if God spoke to the writers of Scripture in this fashion, should we not also think being believers in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, should we not also anticipate that god is also going to guide us and direct us i think we should now that doesn't mean however that god is going to necessarily micromanage our lives uh in in uh, where i work they have um there's this leadership management style called s1 s2 s3 s4 S1 is a micromanager, and sometimes when you're training someone, you got to go that route. But you do that in anticipation that you're going to move them to S2 and eventually S3, S4. S1 is a micromanager. Uh, two is more of a. Um, uh, Guide, I think, then you go to a coach and then you go to delegation. I think is the last one. So you can delegate someone and just and give them full reign because you know they're going to do do it and do it right. And uh, most times is around S3, the coaching is where, where, uh, per, uh, your person's found. Anyhow, all that being said, you know, I don't think God's going to necessarily micromanage just because he wants us to be able to make good decisions. But that's not to say that he's not going to give us insight and direction on how we should go. And so I think he does that. I think the scripture is quite clear about that in my estimation, that he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Does that mean it's an audible voice? Of course not. Can he speak in an audible voice? Yes, he could. But the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, we should anticipate if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, if you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit and God's going to reveal truths to you in scripture, that automatically means that God has in some form or fashion communicated with you through scripture, uh, some, to some degree. Divine impressions is another way, uh, circumstances in life, yeah. uh, closing doors, opening doors. I know in my life I have tried to, um, push, kick the door open on certain things that come about, but it wasn't right for me. And so, you know, God slammed the door shut. It couldn't be open because God slammed it shut. Sometimes it didn't make sense. Other times it did, but you got to trust in the, in, in what God is doing in our lives. So, but di- if divine impressions, I can't tell you the times that God has placed someone on my heart, on my mind, and I can't shake them. And I give them a call only to find they're going through some tragic event in their life. If that's not God, I don't know what it is. Right. Uh, that's gotta be the right. Holy Spirit speaking to us. Uh, now does this mean, does this mean that it, it, uh, counters what the Bible says? No. The Bible is our guide. It's the revelation of God. It keeps us grounded. If something we hear, something that's going on is opposing to what we find in scripture, then we know that's not of God. That's the beautiful thing about how God set this up. Because when you deal with the spiritual world, you don't know sometimes what you're dealing with. And, but God's given us that revelation. God's given us that guide to keep us, ground, us grounded and to keep us focused. But so does God speak to us? Of course, he's God. And, and I, if, if we're all about relationship with Christ, we're about bring, being brought into this triune relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What type of relationship is there where... No one ever communicates to another person. Uh, It makes no sense to me. And honestly, what I think you, well, I'm going to wait and hold it for another question. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) You got me going, Curtis. I know. I know. So
1: here's the other one. Number five, should we expect to see
0: miracles today? Well, I'd answer that question with a question, is God still God? Yeah. If God's still God, then yeah, he can work miracles. I don't, there's, there's, listen, this, this came from one of my professors and I'm not going to say who it was because I didn't get permission to share this from him. But a very prominent professor at Liberty University told me that there's not a shred of evidence that God, in, in the Bible, that God would ever stop doing miracles. There's just not a shred of evidence to say that he's going to stop. Uh, so I just leave it there. Yeah, I,
1: I, <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I if you were to read, and this kind of comes down to um, as as I read through the Bible, I, I I have a rhythm I do every year go through the whole Bible just to just to have the text in my mind constantly, and then I'll study. Along with that, I'll study certain aspects and certain times and certain books and certain things, and um, it 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 amazes me every time I go through it, it. It when you read through it, you you expect to see the things that were happening then to happen now. The the some of the some of these books are you know they they cover a, a 30 40 50 100 year long span is there a miracle that's documented in there well one or two but that was a big span it's not like it was happening you know we read it we read it it takes us a week or we read it we read that certain section of the bible and it takes us 3 days and we read about six miracles you know and it, but we got to remember For example, the book of Daniel, Daniel's life that that covers the whole of Daniel's life or a good portion of it It doesn't cover his very beginning part when he was born and such, but it covers all of that um, from when he was taken captive to the time that he (laughs) deceased. And. There's miracles that happen in there, but they're not like they're happening every day. Exactly, like, exactly. documented.
0: Well, and, and I think as we think about God moving and directing, you know, I, I've been reading through um, the Summa Theologica and uh, by Thomas Aquinas, and it's been very fascinating because anytime I've read through it before, well, I have never read through it, and, and it's a long, long book, so it's taken me a while to get through. I'm not even out of the first volume yet. I mean, it's taken a while. it's going to take a while. But anyhow, one of the things I've, when I've referenced the Summa before, I, I looked at it from an apologetic value, but there's some deep theological treasures in that. and so but but Thomas Aquinas approaches the world as if God is a primary mover, moves upon things, and brings about secondary causes. Uh, free agents are able to respond to the moving of God uh, in one way or the other, and and nature itself responds to God. Uh, sometimes God does something directly. Sometimes God moves through other avenues. I think God can move through medicine to heal someone uh, because there's sometimes, I, I've seen cases where some people have taken medicine, doesn't do any good for the person. But then I've seen other times where they may take a medicine and it does really good. Now, It's the medicine working, but God's working through the medicine because medicines don't always work as they should. So I think God is working through those processes. I I say all that just to simply say, yes, you're right. In the Bible, direct miracles don't. It's not like an everyday occurrence. It's not like they happen every day. You're looking at entire lifetimes and they're bringing out these big, heavy hitting miracles that have taken place over the course of that person's life. Now, the miracles in, increased in intensity and frequency when it comes to Jesus and with some of the prophets. Sure. But in large part, with most people, it didn't happen every day. But having said that, right. I do think God does work miracles in our lives every day that, we, that sometimes we're not even aware of. So there are large miracles that he does, but I think there are smaller miracles. Every day we wake up as a miracle. Um You know, every day we wake up, every day, every beat of our heart, every breath we take, every conscious moment we have, if you think about it, it's a miracle because it's a gift of God.
1: Yeah, that's good. So number six, documented miracles. With these types of evidence of miracles, why are so many prominent people coming out so strongly against them?
0: Yeah. And if you look at uh, we talk about documented miracles, look at the works of um, Craig Keener. He has a two volume book on miracles. I've I've got it back here somewhere in in my library, but he's got a two volume book with with documented evidence of miracles. Now, um, some some would say um, that these are anecdotal. But a lot of things in history are anecdotal. When you talk about eyewitness <laughs> testimonies, you're talking about anecdotal things. Doesn't mean that you can't the find Bible evidence. Bible is that. <laughs> well, if you got evidence for it, it doesn't matter if it's anecdotal or not anecdotal. You, what matters is if you have evidence for it or not. Um, but I think people, I think people don't want to accept miracles um, for for several reasons. I think one is fear. And this is strange because yeah. I've seen some I've, – yeah. I've noticed this with near-death experiences, speaking on near-death experiences, which I heartily believe are true. I believe in the intermediate state. I believe that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And if that's true, the near-death experiences should be expected. Uh, we should expect to have conscious experiences of the afterlife. Now, that doesn't mean we should believe every single report that comes out. And, of course, we want to discern and decipher that through – Through Scripture, but one thing I've noticed is as I've spoke have spoken on near death experiences and the evidence for it, some people have have been struck by fear. It's strange; they've been struck by fear because they think to themselves, "Oh wow, Scripture is true." And this even comes from some Christians. I think sometimes people view Scripture almost as if it's a comic book. Uh, because none of us, we, we talk about Thor or the Incredible Hulk, but we don't necessarily believe that those are real beings unless you believe in Norse mythology with Thor. Um, but so I think fear is a factor. Uh, going back to the issue of authority, I think that's a factor. And then I also think this kind of also coincides with a previous question about, about God speaking to us. I think there is an underlying form of deism that has influenced modern Christianity and deism is the idea that God creates us. God may save us, but he's hands off. We live our lives. We do as we please. God doesn't bother us. And that's why I call this the deadbeat dad interpretation, because that's what they've made God into a deadbeat dad he said here i gave birth to you I'll go do your thing leave me alone <laughs> there's that. Hmm.
1: yeah well it's it it's it, it truly boggles my mind when i when i hear some of these um you know well-known well-known people um in in the christian world that Say or have come out against some of this stuff, and I just uh, uh, I, 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 I'm concerned. Let's just leave it there.
0: Well, and I think you have every right to be, uh, Curtis. And, and this kind of goes back to the previous conversation I had with, with TJ to a degree. It's, it's amazing. We didn't plan, none of us planned this. You didn't plan it, TJ didn't plan it, and I didn't plan it, but it's amazing how our conversations tonight have had some common central themes that none of us had really anticipated to have. And we're talking about the authority. That's, that's one of the things uh, that, that we, we see there as well. But one of the things we were mentioning, and I think needs to be brought back up here is that we have developed kind of a celebrity culture where we have these different celebrities and they speak to these massive audiences. And the problem is, is we, When they say something, a lot of times we'll just take what they say and treat it as if it's the gospel truth and we don't second guess it. But we need to, again, this coincides with the conversation I had with my son today. We need to, we need to evaluate the evidence. Truth is truth no matter who says it. A lie is a lie no matter who says it. And so we need to, we need to be able to evaluate truth and to hold our heroes accountable. For for the things yeah. they teach. Listen, I, I tell I tell every person, every church I've ever pastored, I tell people, don't take what I say for granted. Look it up in Scripture. And I tell people, if you find something that I say that is biblically incorrect, let me know and I will correct it and come to find out. You know, it, it recently happened where I, I gave um, it incorrectly named uh, Miriam. Is uh, Moses's? I think I said he was his wife, and it wasn't his wife; it was his sister. And uh, yeah. and someone caught me on that. I didn't intentionally do it, but someone caught me on that and said, "Hey, that was his <laughs> sister, not his mother." And you know what I did? Next yeah. Sunday, I went up and I said, "You know, I, I made a mistake. I want to thank so and so for bringing this to my attention. I said this wrong, and you know, and, and corrected it. I mean, iron sharpens iron; it really does.
1: Yeah, yeah." Well, it gives an opportunity to um, for people to um, engage, not only just uh, uh, listen and take part of what you're what you're doing, but actually engage in what uh, what you're teaching them, um, what you're talking about. And if and if we um, if we cannot uh, have a, a bit of discussion about um, what our – feelings or thoughts and our possibly theology about certain things are um, if we can't have a discussion and be and be adults with it um, then I think I think there's a lot to be said for the personalities
0: at play um, in that discussion then I I agree wholeheartedly and that kind of goes back to the whole question that we had on the other issue you know if if we're not able to ask questions and we're not able to Really, bring concerns up. What what type of place are we really at? You know, because because Christ did everything. He everything Christ did was done openly. Now there were a few things, interpretations of parables and things like that. He did in private, but the miracles were done publicly. The messages he brought were was done publicly. The crucifixion was done publicly. The resurrection was publicly done. So there was Jesus was very transparent with a lot of, with, yeah. with uh, most, if not nearly all of his ministry. So we should expect that in yeah. ministries as well. So number seven,
1: what was the historical view on miracles and what did they see? And I'm mostly talking, you know,
0: what what documents do we have that we can go back to? I, I would say, you know, of course, the New Testament documents. I, I I didn't get a chance to really look into and peer into what uh, some of the early patristic fathers had to say about this, but but I'm comfortable in saying that that nearly all of them uh spoke in favor of miracles with the anticipation that miracles would happen. I do think it was Augustine who said something along the lines that he noticed that a decrease of miracles happened in his time compared to the the early New Testament times, but that didn't necessarily mean that he thought that miracles had ceased. Uh In, in my mind, at least you know, unless he said something that I just don't, you know, either recall or, or didn't read, uh, which... There's a lot of documents, there's a lot, there's a lot of church fathers and a lot of documents they wrote, so I can't I can't say that with 100% certainty, but um, I think that most, if not all, early church fathers, from what I've read in, in previous readings, they were all completely uh, under the assumption that God continued to work miracles. In fact, it was Basil of Caesarea, don't ask me to tell you where it was, but one of his writings one of the things that stood out to me about Basil was that he said that even our existence is a miracle because if God were to take his hands off of creation, that, that, uh, that everything would essentially fly apart at the seams that, that, that existence itself is only possible because God permits it. And so even life yep. itself is a miracle. And, and, uh, it's amazing to me that, that we've lived as uh human beings have lived as long as we have on this earth. And, and uh, with as many asteroids and meteors that are that that swirl around us, it's amazing to yeah. me that we haven't been hit more than we have. And and with these, I mean, recently I think it was this past couple of weeks that that NASA detected one of the biggest. What, what was it they called it? Um, electromagnetic. I can't even remember what it's called, ERB or something like that. But it was it was from the distant. It was from a huge. Uh, It was a huge blast of energy that came from deep in the universe and within a minute produced the same amount of radiation that the sun would have produced over 30 years. Thankfully, it missed us. Wow. (laughs) But one of their sensors, I guess one of the satellites or something detected that. It missed us, thank the Lord. But just think about all those things that are happening in the universe around us. How is it? that we're still alive that is by the but by the grace of god that we are even still exist
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah it brings to light you know the fact that he holds us in his hand absolutely that's 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 incredible so let's get into number eight it's current events um with the war in Israel, we are seeing a large uprising support for Hamas and the turning away from Israel. What is the significance
0: of this? I I think on the one hand, I I, I do think there is a concern for, for all people involved because there are many innocent Palestinians in the area. And I want to say, I want to say, there are many Muslims who are not for terrorism. In fact, I, I actually had a chance to meet a woman who was a Muslim, and she said that in her interpretation, in or in their interpretation of jihad, that was talking about spiritual warfare, not physical warfare. Uh, she said, "There's a lot of individuals in in the Islam who are who view that much as Paul would." About that, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual powers. And so, um, I, I, th- I think there are some people who are concerned, and, and as we should be, we should be concerned for people on both sides because everyone is made in the image of God. Right. But on the other hand, I do not see how anyone could support a terrorist group that comes in and behead, beheads babies. Yep. um that to me is beyond rationality uh, i don't see how you can support a terrorist organization that that came in stormed in unannounced shooting people in their own homes and lighting buildings on fire and when people escape shooting them as they're escaping their homes to escape the fire to, I, I don't have an answer as to why people would support that level of brutality. Um, th- there is an increasing amount of anti-Semitism going on in our world. Um, I do think there are some people who have the opinion that that, um, that Jews should just leave Israel. But I think that if you look – I mean, this is going to be a controversial – we don't normally deal with controversial issues, yeah. but I'm – when say it here, uh you see the menorah back here. Um I'm not Jewish. <laughs> in fact, my DNA analysis came back. I'm a lot more Viking in English than I ever thought I was. Uh I'm gonna have to get me one of those hats with the horns on them.
1: <laughs>
0: Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, I had to go along with my cheese head back there. <laughs> Be a Viking Packers. I don't know how that works.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's uh, where
0: the Swiss cheese. I mean the yeah, Swiss cheese came from. But yeah, uh, but be yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand the anti-Semitism that's going on in our world. I, I, in fact, I heard one person say that that uh, why does everybody hate Jewish people so much? Now, I mean, I, I don't. We don't. But right. I, I don't understand it. But you know, i know a person who is not going to be popular with some people online because I am a futurist. I do view revelation, much of revelation as, as depicting things happening in, in future times. Not, you know, not all of it necessarily, but I do believe a large part of it is. Um, right. You know, I, I think that some of this stuff is to be expected as the time draws near. Yeah,
1: yeah. And our hearts and prayers, um, our hearts are heavy, and our prayers go out to everyone uh, that is being affected. That goes on any side of it. And this is a hard statement, and I know you agree with me on this, Brian, but we have to remember Christ died on the cross for that very terrorist that committed those acts. Ex- those very That's terrorists true. that committed that Christ And his blood was spilt so they could choose to uh, enter into the kingdom with him, through him, or choose not to. And so I heard a person say today that his heart is so broken for those uh, people committing these acts because they are closer to hell. Than, than they have ever been That very moment They could be taken out And and so to have the Compassion to understand That, that they They need to turn To Christ Ask for his forgiveness Seek him And they're going to have to suffer The consequences for what they did Yes, but Eternally their souls will be Rectified, saved
0: yeah, and, and and in reality, anybody can be saved by the grace of God. I mean, some people will say, "Well, well, how can that be? How could that possibly be?" Yeah. Well, you know, reality is we're all sinners. Uh, it, it's, I think a better question is, "How could any of us? How could any of us be saved?" Uh, right. That, to me, is a miracle. How anybody could be saved. Right. But on on this note, I do I do want to say that there are many innocent people on both sides of the fence. Mm. There are people in there are people in um, the Gaza Strip. Was it Gaza Strip? Am I saying that right? Um, Gaza Strip, yep. there's yep. there's people there with no food. They're, they're there with um, you know that they have nowhere to go, and so right. me, most of these people had nothing to do with what happened. Uh, they're just trying to live out their lives and uh, caught up in a mess same way with people in Israel. I mean, they were caught up in something. They didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for uh, any of this to to happen. Um, So just looking at all people as being made in the image of Christ, our hearts really go out for people, everyone who's been impacted Mm -hmm. by this, this horrible situation in the Middle East. And uh, um, it's really, really sad. And, just uh in your heart breaks mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah well folks um sorry to end on such a, a sour note but it is the current events and uh i, I want to encourage hey curtis can i say one, one word of, of each and every one of our listeners
0: yeah can, can i say yeah. one word of encouragement so that we don't end on a bad note you just remember that god still works miracles and he can still work a miracle in this situation too so let's pray for peace oh, that peace comes because he yeah. has the power to do it
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely good that's good now uh, i want to encourage everyone to go out and live christ-centered with others around you thank you goodbye
0: You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons Copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.